Welcome to The Chris Rawl Show. You can find all of my work at www.chrisrawl.com. If you want to connect or have thoughts on the show in any way, shape, or form, please email me at chris at ceo.com. On today's episode, an examination of how the Bengals and Rams are going to the Super Bowl. The NFL is the greatest sport on planet Earth. This weekend was more confirmation. We are now up to six consecutive playoff games that have featured A-plus drama. I've been feasting upon it like it's Thanksgiving and there's gravy all over my shirt. It has been absolutely stunning to watch and to be a part of. And again, as good as you are going to find in sports. Now, I want to rewind a couple weeks ago to a show that I recorded between the end of week 18, the final week of the regular season, and the wild card round. And I recorded a lengthy podcast talking about the slim separation between playoff teams, between the margins that occur within these games that end up determining who wins and who loses. Now, the last two weekends, especially the divisional round and the conference title round uh, on Sunday, this is exactly what I am referring to. Who wins and who loses, and the narratives that arise from that particular equation come down to the margins. These little tiny, tiny, tiny edges that accumulate in ways that are random and ways that are not. So we've seen that through six consecutive games. And on today's show, I'm really going to dive deeper into the two games that occurred on Sunday, the Bengals and the Chiefs and the Rams and the Niners. And before we get there, I kind of want to reflect because a lot of what is incorporated into this show is the way that narratives occur and how most times I don't really think they're rooted in being genuine or what is happening in reality. And I think it's very strange how easily one play, many times completely random, can completely change public perception and narrative about a player or a team. This is something that I really feel compelled to always push back on. Now, part of this process is just paying attention and reflecting on all of these margin plays that make up a football game, kind of the, the minutia, if you will, that will only be remembered ultimately in great detail if your team loses. I can list all these Packers losses and I can pluck 15 plays from each of these games right now from the top of my brain over the last decade plus in the playoffs because it's really easy to remember these tiny little margin plays that cost your team a victory. Um, and when your team goes on and wins, those just kind of evaporate into the ether and you can rest easy and feel good about the fact that, hey, my team won. And that's all that matters. And now we can go and worry about next week's matchup. So in the process of these forgotten plays, if you will, the plays that occur that if you win, they dissipate. I was thinking very strongly about a divisional round game, the Rams and the Buccaneers. And there's a play that ended up ultimately not mattering because the Rams ended up winning in a crazy game where the Buccaneers came back and then Stafford and Cup connected for two enormous throws at the end to set up a Matt Gay walk-off field goal. But there's a play at the end of the first half, Cam Akers. I'm sure you all remember it because you were probably watching it as intently as I was. 
The Rams are up 20-3, to and it looks like they're just going to put the final nail in the coffin. They're going in to score a touchdown in the final 30 seconds of the first half to make it 27-3. to And Akers on a second down run. He gets hit at the one-yard line. And you can't really tell live, but the ball ends up coming out, and the Bucks recover at the one. Goes to replay. Oh, no. Tampa Bay ball. They quarterback sneak it, go into the half. They're down 17. Again, it doesn't seem at the time like it's going to matter that much. And as the second half starts going on, it matters greatly because now the Bucks are coming back from a three-possession deficit. And I'm thinking back to that play and going, this is the kind of plays that can swing football games. This, there's always this weird kind of stuff that occurs. And Akers fumbles again on their second-to-last drive in regulation before the Bucks tie it. And again, Stafford hits cup twice. Matt Gay kicks a field goal to walk it off. And ultimately, these plays, they end up not mattering. They're still fresh on my mind. But as time goes on, and especially if the Rams win the Super Bowl this year, they're just going to kind of be forgotten. They're the forgotten plays that if you lose, we will talk about forever. And if you win, they just don't matter. They don't exist. So you're probably wondering why I'm bringing this up now. Because it, it segues nicely into two things that I want to talk about. A, narratives. I always want to talk about them. And B, seemingly small plays that occur in, in the case of the AFC title game. That is similar to the Cam Akers plays you can possibly find. Plays that seem small at the time that come from a team that is controlling the game that end up being the turning point in the game. So that puts us into the Chiefs and the Bengals. Chiefs, seven-point favorites. They dominate in the first half of the AFC title game. I mean, about as good as you're going to look. Through three offensive possessions, they'd scored three touchdowns, had really not met resistance on any front from the Bengals' defense. After they'd scored the third one, the Bengals had just struggled to move the ball, period, on offense. They were at three points. It's 21-3. to three. There's five minutes to go in the half. And it just seems like it's going to be another classic example of how unbeatable the combination of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill is. Just an overwhelming abundance of offensive talent and execution. So the Bengals end up scoring a touchdown with a little over a minute to go in the first half. A Samaji P. Ryan 40-plus yard screen pass that somehow he takes to the house. I have no idea how still to this day. Samaji P. Ryan is not known for his game-breaking ability, but he scores. It's 21-10. And I'm watching it with a group of people, and we're going, okay, at least maybe there's a chance that this game could be somewhat competitive. Maybe the Bengals can stave this off, but the Chiefs have the ball. They got multiple timeouts. We know going back to last week that it takes the Chiefs 13 seconds to drive into field goal range from their own 25. So with a minute and change and two timeouts, it seemed like they could zip down the field, and they do. Their fourth drive of the game, it's just the same as their first three. Zip in here, zip in here, big pass play to Tyree Kill. Next thing you know, they're down inside the two-yard line after a pass interference call. They have nine seconds on the clock, so they obviously have multiple chances to go at the end zone. They are out of timeouts at this point. Don't get it. On their first play. And their second play was Patrick Mahomes making 
a completely brain-dead play that ended up being a sign of things to come. At the time, we're freaking out about it because much like the Acres fumble against Tampa Bay, we're going, all right, it, it left the door cracked open slightly. The Chiefs, they're still getting the second half kickoff. Again, at this point, there are four consecutive drives that Kansas City has moved the ball with no resistance whatsoever. But on this final play of regulation in the first half, Mahomes with no timeouts and the clock ticking, he just throws a swing pass out to the left-hand side to Tyreek Hill with defenders there in the flat. Nowhere to go. He gets tackled in bounds. Clock runs out. So they don't even get a field goal on the board to make it 24-10, much less the touchdown that would have made it 28-10. Again, with Kansas City getting the ball coming out of halftime in a game that through four drives, they had been unstoppable. So at the time, again, none of us are saying, this is the play that's going to change the game and now the Bengals are going to win. Nobody thought that. I, most of all. And I know that Math nerds hate talking about momentum. It doesn't exist. Let's rely upon the cold numbers. There's no such thing as it. But there's always plays that occur like this that lead me to just remark and think upon the more spiritual side of sports, if you will. And I just go, I don't know how a game can be so different on the front side of one play and the back side of it. It's just kind of incredible to watch. And suddenly a game that was completely dominated by the Chiefs, they're up 11 coming into the second half. It turns into this grinded out affair. And especially if you use that play as the breaking point, it is astounding to watch the discrepancy from Kansas City's offense that had been unstoppable to go into the second half and into overtime where they put up three points the rest of the way and could not move the ball. So the second half, it's a conglomerate of great defensive adjustments by the Bengals and how they were dealing with Kansas City's offense. Joe Burrow going full Iceman, just a true baller in every sense of the word. We knew that when he was at LSU, and he was leading that 2019 team on a pretty much unprecedented run. And he's piecing together plays in the second half. The most notable, in my opinion, came on the back of him scrambling on third down when Chris Jones was just obliterating the poor Bengals right guard. And Burrow was just evading. Evading, 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 running for first down on third down, evading, running for first down on third down. Big throws, most notably on a couple crossing routes to T. Higgins, who then is turning it into 25-yard games. Burrow was just, he was great. He was excellent. His statistics, they don't paint the full picture I think he ends up with a little over 250 yards passing, two touchdowns, one pick, runs for another 30 on the ground. Again, not outstanding, overwhelming box score, but managed the game correctly and had that indefinable trait that a lot of people like to talk about that sometimes I'll push back on. But in this case, I think it was fitting. Just when the Bengals needed a play, Joe Burrow made a play. So on the flip side of that, we have just an incredible accumulation of bad plays, margin plays, stuff that seemed random, stuff that wasn't. And where I want to start is Kansas City's final drive in regulation. By this point, the Bengals have come back. They've taken the lead on the strength of some of these Burroughs plays, on the strength of 
Hit pass interception when the Bengals are down 21-13. That sets up a Jamar Chase touchdown and two-point conversion to tie it. And Kansas City zipping down the field. Clock's dwindling, and it seems preordained that, all right, you know, they've dicked around this entire half. Who knows why or how? But they have a first down inside the five-yard line. There's about a minute 20 to go. The Bengals are now out of timeouts, and it's a great precipice moment. People that I'm watching it with, we're discussing, do you think that the Bengals just let them score a touchdown here? And at least we know Burrow will be getting the ball back with over a minute to go and needs to score a touchdown. It seems impossible to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes in this offense from scoring when they want to right now. So do you just you just punt on it? And instead, they try to play defense, run on first down, stopped. And then it leads into just a series of events that I still am trying to work my way through mentally. Because Patrick Mahomes did not play well at all in the second half. And I think their second and third down plays on their final drive regulation were kind of the perfect microcosm of, I, I don't really understand what was going on. Whether it was in his head, whether it was what the Chiefs offense were doing or the combination of those two things. But on second down, he's got all the time in the world, but nobody to throw to. And he's just dancing around the circle, dancing around, dancing around, ends up taking a sack, moves him back to the nine yard line which leads to third down play where the exact same thing happens again. Good protection, good protection, but he's just sitting there waiting, 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 waiting. And he makes a play at the time that I think could fall into that Cam Akers category of, oh man, if the Chiefs win this game, this is going to be an all-time just lost play that evaporates. That seemed so atrocious in the moment, but because it went Kansas City's way, all right, we don't have to talk about it as much. He drops back, dances around the pocket for it seems like 15 seconds, and he's just waving the ball around, and Cincinnati knocks it out. Ball's on the turf. Luckily, a Kansas City lineman jumps on it and out-wrestles a Cincinnati lineman. Sets up a longer field goal, which Harrison Butker ends up drilling from, I believe, 44 yards. So now we've had a, a just margin play after margin play after margin play. And the Bengals, it still feels like they're heavy underdogs going into overtime, even before the coin is tossed in the air. Kansas City wins the coin toss. And I will note that this game felt different from the Buffalo game. Just the inevitability of this team's driving down immediately and scoring a touchdown. Because the second half of the Cincy game, again, Kansas City's offense, it was spinning its wheels in the mud. And against Buffalo, they were immaculate the entire game. But still, they win the coin toss. And still, it's Patrick Mahomes coming out with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid calling plays. And whenever you combine those things... You're always going to get that feeling of it's just preordained. It's just, we held them off for so long, but we're Cincinnati. We're going to look back at that fumble that wasn't recovered. We're going to say we had it right there. If just if just we jumped on it or out-wrestled the guy, we'd be going to the Super Bowl. And instead, now Patrick Mahomes is getting the ball to start over time. And yet we have this atrocious Kansas City offense in the second half compound in overtime. Mahomes throws a pass on second down straight into Eli Apple's arms. I mean, right on the numbers. And Eli Apple cannot catch it. And now I'm screaming about the margin stuff and going, this is just how you lose. I mean, they've tried to give the Bengals this game. They're going to be sitting there thinking about these plays for all of time as the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm thinking. And instead, to Cincinnati's credit, they just didn't blink. They didn't buckle. 
And on third down, they play great defense. And Mahomes tries to force it downfield to Tyree Kill. Jesse Bates, the safety, makes a great play, punches it out. Von Bell, their other safety, ends up picking it off off the deflection and sets up Burrow and Higgins and a couple first downs and a good run by Joe Mixon, including a pretty dicey moment where he goes down and just throws the ball out of excitement. And it didn't look like he was touched. And we're going, is that a fumble? Is that not a fumble? What is going on here? All this stuff accumulates. And instead, the Bengals set up for a short field goal. And what does the game come down to? Just like all of the games in the divisional round, kickers, our favorite subject. <laughs> These players who have an outsized an outsized role on the way that narratives are born for everyone involved. There's the old saying, a quarterback is only as good as their kicker, and it rings true a lot of times. In this game, Butker forces overtime, and on the opposite side, Evan McPherson, who's been immaculate in the playoffs, kicked a boatload of field goals against Tennessee and four more on Sunday against Kansas City, including a 50-plus yarder and then the game winner in overtime. He just drills it right down the middle. So the Bengals are moving to the Super Bowl. Insanity, everything that went into this game. You could pick, again, all these plays I'm talking about and, and change a little bit here, change a little bit there, and you have a different outcome. You have different talking points. You have all of these opinions and narratives just being plucked out of thin air because little tiny random things or plays are made. So before we move on to the next game, I want to make a quick note in the narrative side of the equation. And it regards quarterbacks because this is the one area that narratives just, they just don't ever go away. And I think they're talked about in just the most insane manner. As I mentioned multiple times, Mahomes and the Chiefs offense were not good in the second half. They were awesome in the first half. They were not good in the second half in overtime. By expected points added, the EPA metric, it was the worst second half that Mahomes and the Chiefs offense has had since he became starter. The worst, regular season or playoffs. By that same metric, expected points added per play. It was the second worst second half on offense in the entire Andy Reid Chiefs era. That's over 180 games. So you get a window. This was a putrid, putrid second half performance from player that many consider to be the best in the game and rightfully so, and an offense that many people consider to be the best in the game and rightfully so, and a play caller that many people consider to be the best in the game and rightfully so. Now they're going to take flack this week and again, rightfully so. But this is where I'll make a quick note and touch on a theme that I've been talking about for the last month. Because while it was about as flustered and clueless as I've seen Mahomes look that second half, and the Chiefs' offense in general. Even knowing that, they were still this close to winning. I'm holding up my fingers, and they're barely just almost touching. Picture it in your mind. And so if one of these plays swings the other way, the Chiefs end up handing the ball off on second and goal to Edwards Hilaire, and he runs it in for a touchdown right near the end of regulation, and Burrow stalls out because he's got not a lot of time and no timeouts. How different... Would the talking points be today if the Chiefs had ended up winning in that manner or in a slightly different manner, but same concept? How different would the talking points that are going to overwhelm everybody for this week as we analyze these games and then move on to the Super Bowl, how different would all of that look? What we're talking about when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and all that kind of stuff. It's just a note that I like to make and think about 
as I'm consuming coverage from other people. So now we move into the NFC title game, a game that also came down to the margins. When you get teams that are good at football, it's really hard to watch a blowout in the playoffs. It's just not the way the nature of the sport is structured. And so much like the AFC title game, we have this tight, hard-fought game between the Niners and the Rams. It comes down to a bunch of crazy stuff, plays being made, ref flag here, a coaching decision there, and now the Rams are moving on to the Super Bowl. So there's stuff in the first half, you know, I think to the very first drive of the game for the Niners, and Jimmy Garoppolo misses George Kittle on a third down play that looks like a sure bona fide touchdown. He's going to run for 70 yards. There's nobody there. And Garoppolo just airmails it because that's what sometimes Jimmy Garoppolo does. And on the other side, the mistake side, the Rams, they have two huge drops on their final drive of the first half. In a tie game, they've kind of controlled the first half, but they've not been able to punch it in. Stafford's throwing a goal line interception. They just haven't really had success once they've gotten down in that area. And Cooper Cup drops a huge ball, and then the Rams drop another one in the end zone on a perfectly called play, both which... One, definitely a touchdown. The other, the cut play, possibly, but at the very least, it's going to be a 40-plus yard game. And instead, this drive that looked like a surefire seven-point drive ends in a missed 50-plus yard field goal by Gay, which in turn gives great field position to San Francisco, which in turn ends up resulting in a Robbie Gould field goal going into halftime. So the Niners are leading 10-7 in a half that they just have not controlled nor played that well. The second half is comprised of just a lot of the the minutia, the margins, call it whatever you want, but it was just, it's stuff that I love. I love, love, love watching it because it's high theater, high drama. I love thinking about it because I just like to analyze stuff that I'm passionate about, and I love the way that it ties into narratives in a way that just, there's nothing logical about it. From a game management perspective, uh, Sean McVay was an F in the second half. He's the winning coach. He's moving on. Great for him. But he was an he was an F minus. Actually, we're going to downgrade. I know that's a grade that I can't give, but I will give Sean McVay an F minus for his entire game management strategy in the second half. Starts with uh, Matt Snafford quarterback sneak on fourth and short, a, a play that you obviously should go for. I'm not going to make qualms with that, but... He doesn't get it. The Niners just blow it up. And McVay kind of panics because, oh no, this is a turnover. And he throws the challenge flag for reasons unknown. There's no possible replay immediately that you see that seems to indicate that Stafford is anywhere near the first down line. It's also a quick note, side note of the side note. It is asinine. These games mean so much from a legacy perspective, from a gambling perspective, the money that's going into it, that's bet on it, all that kind of stuff. It is asinine. That one of the things that plays a role in the outcome of a football game are two old people, referees, who try to understand where a ball is in a pile of 300-pound men and then run in manually, spot the ball on the ground like they know exactly where that ball got to at its furthest point, and then two more old men run out with chains and punch them into the ground like that also is the perfect way to measure in 2021 or whatever the hell year it is, 2022. I can't even talk. I don't even know. The main point is this is how we are determining a fourth and short 
first down conversion. So it goes against the Rams. They blow a challenge. It's pretty early in the second half. And again, the Rams are down. And me and a lot of other people are going, I mean, you just can't waste a timeout right now. You just can't. It gets worse because they waste another timeout on a first and 10 to avoid a delay of game. Just blow it out the window. And a lot of people, including me, are going, that five yards that puts you at first and 15, it's not worth blowing a timeout. You are down in this game. It's the second half. And we get another bad challenge by McVay on a Kyle Juszczyk play where it sets up mismanagement on all sides. It's fourth and two from the Rams 45 Niners ball. On third down, Kyle Juszczyk has ran a fullback dive. He's got stopped short. There's 10 minutes to go in the game. The Niners are leading by three. And this is where coaching just, I mean, man, there's a lot of sliding door stuff that went into just this particular play. Because McVay challenges whether or not Juszczyk fumbles it. it. It's not even close on replay. I don't know who's in his ear. I don't know if he's just going rogue and throwing the challenge flag. But they have one timeout left. And he throws the challenge flag. And with 10 minutes to go, the challenge fails. And the Rams are out of timeouts. And I'm sitting there going, there is no way this does not come back to bite the Rams in the ass. And it ends up not. You know? Spoiler alert. It ends up not. It doesn't even matter in the end. But I'm watching it and going, holy cow, nine times out of ten, this is going to bite you in the ass. And the Niners, who had sent out their punt team on fourth and two after the use check play, instead now they're sitting there during the review process and they send their offense back out. And every fourth down bot on planet Earth, you can go and look at whatever one that you choose. You know, ESPN has them, New York Times has them, they're all over. All the analytical models that have, you just plug in the numbers. What point of the game is it? What's the down and distance? Who's up? Who's down? Where are you at on the field? And every single win expectancy model is saying, this is a situation where you go for it. Fourth and two, 10 minutes to go, plus territory. You're up by three. Go for it. And instead, Kyle Shanahan, a dude who was completely chastised for how aggressive he was in the Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl when he was offensive coordinator there and the Falcons blew a 28-3 lead. Part of the story of that game was the Falcons getting into field goal range to close out the game in regulation after a big Julio Jones catch. And, and Kyle Shanahan, he's staying aggressive. He's staying aggressive. The thing that we all like, the thing that I like, he's calling a pass play and then, oh no, the Falcons take a holding penalty, so they're back 10 yards. And then, oh no, Matt Ryan takes a sack and now they're suddenly out of field goal range and they punt and it's probably not going to kill him, but, oh wait, New England goes down, scores a touchdown, two-point conversion, forces overtime, wins in overtime. So he's chastised already. You can't be aggressive in that spot. You just run in the line, you kick field goals. And now we're seeing the opposite end of the spectrum. Conservative, fourth and two, 10 minutes go. Now let's just punt and play defense. Which now, after the Liners have lost, he's going to take heat for as well. The opposite way of coaching, but because the outcome did not match up with either strategy, he's going to be obliterated on both sides of this argument. So he punts. And it sets up a play that just, I could talk about for 52 years. Very first play off of that. Matt Stafford, who played, he played a Matt Stafford game. Just a, a lot of high quality, awesome throws. Especially to Cooper Cup. 
and a couple just what in the hell are you doing style plays. The first interception he throws at the goal line that he tries to fit in to tight coverage and it's tipped up in the air. It's just not a good throw. He misses a few in the first half that just there's people there. Very first drive of the game, third down, he misses a throw. But he also is making throws that very few quarterbacks can make because Stafford's arm talent is phenomenal. But this first play after the fourth and two, Rams down three trying to drive. He throws an arm pump. There's no other way to describe it. It's about as atrocious a throw as you're ever going to see. He throws it straight up into the air. It looks like a Hail Mary. And your Kweski Tart, safety for the Niners, he's there to field it because there's nobody else there. It's just an atrocious throw. And he cannot catch the ball. Just squirms out of his hands. Again, I can't stress this enough. It's about as gentle of a play as you could ever ask an NFL athlete to make when it comes to the act of catching a football. It's nice and high and soft, and all you got to do is catch it, and you're not getting hit, and there's nobody really here. And he just can't field it. Right off of that, Rams hits a big pass to Beckham. They're zipping down, kick a field goal. Following drive, Jimmy G throws an atrocious throw in his own right, right into the heart of Jalen Ramsey, who drops that pick. And now I'm going, well, whoever loses this game or wins this, they're going to be sitting at home thinking about one of these two plays for a long time. And it ends up being the tart play because the Rams get the ball back, go and kick a field goal. Jimmy Garoppolo just, I don't know what he's doing down the stretch, but it's the Jimmy G experience. He alternates good with bad. That's just what you get in pretty much every game. He's hitting a lot of good crossers to Brandon Ayuk throughout the game. Didn't do anything too egregious besides that George Kittle miss on the first drive until the last 10 minutes. And after that punt, the Niners did not get a first down. Jimmy G was pressured, him under pressure. That's a recipe for disaster. He throws the old live grenade toss on their final play from scrimmage that's intercepted by the Rams. They're going to the Super Bowl. So two games, just margins, 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 margins. And before we close, let's go back to the narratives. Let's go back to how drastically different the way that we discuss winning teams and losing teams is and what it actually means when a team wins and who loses. Sometimes it's you gave up a blocked punt. Sometimes it's because the opposition dropped an interception. Sometimes it's because your offense just couldn't stay out of its own way like the Chiefs. On the quarterback side, Niners and Rams is a fascinating case study about the way quarterback narratives work. And I want to take this time before I go to stress how easily our thoughts on an entire quarterback's career can be manipulated by one play. Now, I am of the opinion that Matt Stafford is good at football. He has his warts, as almost every quarterback does. We just watched it with Patrick Mahomes. We just watched performances from Brady and Rodgers the round prior that were not up to their standards. We see it with literally every quarterback, okay? So if you want to pluck the bad plays and say, this is why this quarterback is atrocious, you can do that to every quarterback. But Stafford, he spent all of his career until this year with the Lions, and they're not a good franchise, and they're not run well. And he only made three playoff games because he was on the Lions, and he lost all three because he's on the Lions. And I never really held him accountable for that because I thought he was good at playing quarterback. And I thought he was an individual on a sinking ship trying to play quarterback at the very bottom of the Titanic. So he goes to the Rams, and we see spurts of great Stafford and the ceiling of this offense compared to Goff, but he's also making some bad plays because sometimes that's what Matt Stafford does. That's what sometimes quarterbacks do. So you go back to one play and how easily a narrative can be manipulated. And let's think about that Stafford arm punt. And Stafford's going to be praised the next two weeks, and especially if he wins the Super Bowl. And I 
think that he should, because again, I think Matt Stafford is a good quarterback. And I've said that all season long, and I've said that the entire duration of his career, as I've watched him in the same division, the NFC North of the team that I follow closely. But if you think to that arm punt, what is the narrative about Stafford if that's Cart by Jaquiski Tart? What is the narrative if the Niners then go and close out the game because they have great field position, they're already up three, and oh, they throw a little screen pass to Debo Samuel or somebody, and they run in for touchdown, the game's over. What is the narrative on both sides? What is the narrative about Stafford if that's how that game ends? And what is the narrative about Jimmy Garoppolo if Tart catches it and the Niners close that game out with great field position? Okay? Has nothing to do with Jimmy Garoppolo, but the way that we would talk about him going to the Super Bowl would be very different than what we're saying right now. Two polar opposite ends of the spectrum. So now Stafford gets the celebration, and again, rightfully so, but it's also stuff like this that decides a football game. So now you compare all of that stuff to the narratives that will lead us into Super Bowl week. Stafford is the savior. Jimmy Garoppolo as the prior, as the dude who couldn't get first downs in the last 10 minutes, as the dude who threw the game-ending interception, and how drastically different that could have been if Jaquiski Tart catches a football. That's the stuff that is, it's just crazy to try and wrap your brain around. And that's why, you know, one of the main themes of the show is exactly that. Because I will never be able to understand how one play in one playoff game can drastically alter perception of an entire person's career. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Please remember to subscribe and rate and review this show. Five stars on Spotify or Apple, whatever you use, and please help spread the word. Thank you.